Well, Wednesday this past week, we had hundreds of people at the back-to-school party. We figure we served uh, about 400 Wendler families, food and fun. So thanks to all of you uh, for your tremendous help in making this happen. A big shout out to Kyle Wilson, who led the charge, and uh, the Benses for uh, uh, doing all the food and for all of you who came to make it happen. Uh, first off, it, it feels good to be a good neighbor to Wendler. And I'll tell you, the back-to-school party wins us huge points with the administration here at Wendler Middle School. I'm hoping that you will vote on, we've narrowed down our logo. We're trying to ba uh, brand the Thursday night church service. And so we're, we've narrowed it down to two logos. And in the bulletin, you'll see a website. I won't even be offended if you go there now. Uh, and you can uh, vote on which of these two logos you think we should use. Uh, so our tagline, you can't really see it there, but it's, we're calling it Clearwater Thursday, and the tagline is Fits Your Life. Uh, and so please go and uh, tell us which of the two logos you like, and if there's an overwhelming majority, uh, we'll go with it. Otherwise, <laughs> I decide. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have been studying the book of 1 Corinthians all summer. We're actually uh, just a few weeks away from concluding this series September uh, 2nd will be the last. On September 9, we will celebrate five years as a church. Five years of weekly services. Sunday is always coming, and now it's going to be Sunday and Thursday. It's awesome uh, because you guys are awesome and have owned the church and the ministry uh, in partnership with us, and so thank you. So Thursday and Sunday are coming. Five years of a church. And so we're going to have a, a five-year celebration on Sunday the 9th. And then that following Thursday, we launch the Thursday service. And so things are, are happening around here. But we're wrapping up this series. And last week, uh, James gave a, a fabulous message on a difficult topic. Sabrina Sunday night said, Mike, you know when you're watching the Olympics and sometimes you see somebody give a performance of a lifetime and everybody's aware that's what's happening? That's what I felt like listening to James preach. Amen. She's never said that about me, ever. I haven't even been in the, like, the minor leagues in an analogy. But it was awesome. Yeah, the Lord really was. But James skipped two verses in chapter 14, and some of you noticed that because you went and talked to him and you came to me. And uh, so let's read these verses. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. I told Ruan, maybe I'll just read the text when you're done speaking today. <laughs> that was a powerful message from the Lord. Thank you. That blessed my heart and uh, brought tears to my, to my eyes. Thank you. So, um, James didn't just skip it. We, we kind of wanted to. There are sometimes there's text in the Bible. You're like, Lord, do I have to? And uh, this is one of them. But we didn't want to just skip it because it's the Word of God, and it's good for us whether we immediately see it or not. And so we wanted to take a week, uh, but it's going to be a shorter sermon today. Woo! -hoo! 
Now, if read out of context, these verses uh, seem to be a prohibition against women talking at all in church. Like when you walk through the doors, you're supposed to be silent until you leave. Uh, Like a a gag order on women. But any time we read a biblical text, we must read it in context. A, A text out of context becomes a pretext to say whatever we want it to say. And so we must, under, uh, in order to understand this text, we must read it in its context. Now, the big context is the Bible. What does the Bible say uh, that would inform our understanding? Then there is the context of the letter of 1 Corinthians. And then finally, there's the context of the immediate discussion uh, of orderly worship services, Okay. So what I want to do is I want to just really quickly review the context and then we'll hone in on a, uh, an understanding, a correct understanding of what Paul is saying here. First off, the biblical context. And there are five biblical teachings that uh, Paul had in mind. Paul knew his Bible. And when he wrote this thing, he didn't just, he wrote it with uh, the biblical teaching on manhood and womanhood in his mind. So I can't spend too much time Um, defending and unpacking each of these statements, I'm going to have to just uh, kind of hit them fast, review them quickly. But number one, men and women are created in God's image, equal before God as persons, and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 27, a a key verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both men and women are created in the image of God. Thus, we have equal value as persons. Our value is not uh, rooted in what we produce. It's not rooted in what titles we have. It's not rooted in our uh, worldly authority. It's not rooted in our good looks. It's not rooted in our education. It's not rooted in our force of personality. Our value comes from the fact that we bear the image of God. And that's what separates us from animals and men and women uh, equally share in the image of God and thus are equal persons. And yet we are created male or female. God uh, stamps on us uh, maleness and femaleness and it's part of his design. Um, Second biblical teaching. Distinctions... In masculine and feminine roles are are ordained by God as part of the created order. So um, there are role distinctions. This is complementarian. We're equal, uh, and yet there there are some roles that are unique to our gender. And so uh, we see that in the fact that our bodies are different, right? Women are clearly the only ones who can bear children, right? They have a a distinct role. And uh, in, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we're told about how Eve was created, and she was created to be a helper for Adam. And so there are, uh, we have different roles. And it's, the role differences are not a result of sin. They predate the fall. They were part of God's created order that he said is good. Number three, both Old and New Testaments affirm the principle of male headship in the family and in the church. And this is why even in the New Testament, uh, Christian wives are told to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the home. And um, uh, the role of pastor and elder is a male-specific role. 
And so what is headship? My dad asked me that I mentioned when I'm preaching on it. He's like, so uh, how do you define headship? I don't, I don't know. I've only been married 20 years. Uh, I still haven't figured it out, what it means practically. But here's what I do know. It means that uh, the husband will be primarily responsible to God for the spiritual state of the home. Even though Adam ate of the fruit first, who did God come to and demand an account? Adam, why did you eat? And he's like, well, she gave it to me. Well, God came and asked Adam because it was Adam's responsibility first uh, for the state of the family. And same with the, uh, the um, male leaders in the church. God will hold uh, us accountable first. It doesn't mean that... Uh, uh, a wife or uh, everybody else in the church is not responsible, you're responsible as well, but not primarily responsible. And so if you're primarily responsible, that means you can't be apathetic, right? You can't turn a blind eye. Uh, you need to be proactive. Uh, number four, the fall introduced distortions into the relationship between men and women. In uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when God is... Uh, explaining the consequences of sin. He tells Eve, uh, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your, and then he says this, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What he's saying there is, you're now going to have conflict in your relationship. And you will, uh, you will resent and resist your husband's leadership, uh, because it's not going to always be uh, servant leadership. And so here's what happens. Because of sin, um, men are supposed to lead as servants, and yet they use their power. Uh, when, when we operate out of the sin nature, we will often dominate, and we use our, our leadership for our, ourselves and our own betterment and at the expense of other people whether that's in the home or in the church. And so, but women also, when they, when they are operating out of, uh, out of their sin nature, they're going to resist God's design and seek control or not be a helper and be just a doormat. All right, so sin, di sin did not create the role distinctions. It creates our discontent and uh, our, our inability to um, function the way God designed. And then the final principle is that redemption in Christ aims at removing the distortions introduced by the curse. So what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, when we are walking by the Spirit, He helps us be the men and the women He created us to be. Uh, which is why, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands are told, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Be sacrificial servant leaders like Jesus. And so the Spirit of God helps us. Uh, there's feedback coming here. Uh, the, the Spirit of God helps us um, be the men and women and uh, leaders that he, uh, and helpers that he has called us to be. Okay, so that's the biblical teaching that has to, that, that is obviously in the Apostle Paul's mind and has is in the background when you read the text. Now let's go to the uh, book of 1 Corinthians because that's the the second context. Is there anything he says or has uh, elsewhere in the letter 
that would help us understand. And a few weeks ago, uh, James preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in, in which Paul tells uh, men that when they pray or prophesy in church, they're not to have their heads covered. And he says, women, when you pray and prophesy in church, you need to wear a head covering uh, to symbolize the, that you are um, affirming the male headship principle of your, if you're married, your husband, and male headship principle in church. So let me just remind you of those verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. There's something about a head covering in that day and age which signaled um, I'm under authority. And so he says that's inappropriate for a guy to do because uh, it confuses who he is. And then every woman or every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. And then a few, a few verses later it says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. The thing I want to underline here is Paul, Paul, three chapters before our text, has just said women will pray and prophesy in church. Okay, he's just saying when, when women pray and prophesy in church, make sure they have a head covering so that they are affirming the principle of male headship. So he can't be, three chapters later did he say, ah, never mind, just be quiet. <laughs> right? I've just decided, let's just have them be quiet. Uh, no, because he's, he's saying this is the, you know, the practice in, in all the churches. He hasn't changed his mind. Okay, so now let's look at the very particular context in which Paul says uh, the women should keep silent. And uh, the verses, the, to, we're not going to look too deeply, but it's, it starts in verse 26 and goes to verse 40 of chapter 14. And it's Paul giving instructions on orderly worship. In Corinth, there was uh, some, some chaos happening when they gathered together. And Paul tells three types of people to be silent or to silence themselves. The first are those who have been given by God a tongue, the gift of tongues, and they're, they're wanting to exercise it, but there's no interpreter. And so he says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let, let each of them keep silent in church. And speak to himself and to God. Okay? Second group is a prophet. You're, you're up. You've been given a prophecy from the Lord, and you're giving it to the church, and then somebody else gets another prophecy, and you are asked to be silent. But if they're, um, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Okay? So... Uh, the, then, then comes the third group, women, please be silent. And here is the very particular setting in which Paul is, has in mind, and it's this. Someone has just delivered a prophecy, and the church is judging whether that prophecy is, in fact, from God. Okay, but if there, um, let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. So, Apparently, what would, what would happen is God would give a, a prophetic word for the community. Someone would get up and give that word to the church. 
And then the church would, weigh, would, would judge, that's the real word, judge, whether or not that was in fact from the Lord. It's, in, it's the judging of the prophecy, which apparently was some kind of a public you know, s- debate or discussion. It's that, it, at that moment, Paul says, the women need to not participate in that, remain silent. That's, that's for the men to do. The judging, uh, and, and so that's modern day, it's like determining whether or not, uh, determining doctrine for a church, which is, we, we, uh, is in the hands of the um, elders, the male elders of the church. So the, the point of all this, here's the, the principle is this. Paul, the principle that Paul has in mind is women need to act in a way that affirms the principle of male headship in the family and the home. That's the principle. Women, act in a way that will affirm the principle of male headship in the family and the home. In Paul's day, it involved wearing a head covering because a head covering was a symbol everybody recognized as saying, I'm under the authority of my husband or the the male leaders of of the church. As James mentioned a few weeks ago, that head covering, you just might be a fashionable woman. It doesn't have the same connotation uh, today, and so we, we don't, we don't uh, require that because wearing your head uncovered doesn't say anything and doesn't offend any. Uh, it's not challenging the principle of male headship. Um, and then in Paul's day, there uh, was, when there was this public uh, discussion of whether or not a prophecy was in fact from God, women were uh, asked to... Remain silent because otherwise uh, it was a way to, it would undermine the principle of male headship. Here at Clearwater Church, we don't, we don't have these, uh, a, a public discussion of whether or not something is in fact from the Lord. What happens is, Ruan comes to me or to James in, in advance and says, hey, I, I feel like God wants me to share my story. And we look at it and say, that's awesome. We agree. If there's any question, we take it to the elders, and they would say, yeah, we feel like that is, uh, that is for our church. And then we say, please, Ruan, come. And does that make sense? And that, doesn't, uh, that does not undermine. So we wanted to deal with that text because the Bible is the Word of God, and it is authoritative. And we do not have permission to just ignore it or toss out portions that we don't like. And uh, we want you to, un- to know that we take all of the Word of God seriously, and we do our best to rightly divide it, and then act as a community in accordance with the truth. Um, all right? And now we have an exciting baptism.